0: Hello everybody, my name's Ed Wright and welcome to this online iteration of the Newcastle Writers' Festival. Um, To begin with, I'd like to acknowledge the Awabakal people, who are the traditional owners of this country that we're actually standing on but virtually projecting from, and um, the elders past and present of of the Awabakal people. Um, I'm really excited to be sitting here today and talking to David Kelly who's the author of two memoirs. Um, the first one, Fantastic Street, and the second one, which we're going to be mainly talking about today, which came out um, last year through um, Newcastle-based publisher Puncher and Watman, um, and it's called State of Origin, and it's a fantastic story. Welcome, David. Hi, Ed, Thank you for this. This is, yeah, great. Thanks. Yeah. So State of Origin is a memoir. So it's a memoir of yours. But I just thought I'd ask you, what part of your life is it it about?
1: Um, It's about, oh, I suppose the areas that have always haunted me. That's what the story is about. And the areas of my life that have haunted me, which potentially aren't going to end in actual real ghosts because I didn't know where the story was going to lead. So the story is about, um, I have quite a number. Well, I have missing foster brothers. I had missing indigenous foster brothers who were stolen generation um, uh, lads. And I grew up with them until the year of 1980. And then they both ran away on the same night. Um, from a a violent house, a violent family. Um, And I have never, I never knew where they went to. I never knew whether, well, up until I started writing State of Origin and halfway through I had no idea of what had happened to either of them. So um, writing State of Origin was a way for me to, answer those questions as to okay what happened to them versus me as a, a white subject growing up in this same family where did their what was their trajectory versus yes. my trajectory so yeah I wanted to there was a number of there were things like that that I wanted to explore
0: oh great yeah so let's think about your family that you grew up in um for a minute, and obviously you've talked about your Indigenous foster brothers, but you yourself were, were adopted, and then later on your mother had biological children as well. Do you want to talk us just briefly through the structure of the family that you're writing about?
1: Yeah. It, um, Eleven kids in total, um, a mix of adopted, fostered, blood, um, and step. So three adopted, three fostered, three step, two blood, um, and one uh, one adopted father, one stepfather, um, but this the same the same mother that the same matriarch throughout the whole story really that we knew of or, or that we'd ever met. Um, and so yeah that's what the and that started I was adopted in 1965 I was two weeks old I think when I was adopted So, and I was the first child that they adopted into the family so my my adopted father couldn't have children um he was physically incapable of having children but Kept that information to himself, and so my mother started adopting and a fostering. And I'm not sure if some of that was in revenge for him not telling her the truth about his physical capabilities. So, in the space of a few years, there were six kids: three adopted and three fostered. Um, and he worked on he worked for the Queensland Railways. So, yeah he didn't have very too many sick days back in the 70s and that's a rapid sort of um a rapid
0: accumulation of children as well and you know you as the first like it's kind of interesting in the story how sort of you know you particularly as the protagonist of the story are having to kind of constantly defend your um position in the family from um, new interlopers
1: yes I had to protect my turf as being the first, not the first born, but because two years after I was adopted, then the first uh, Lindsay is fostered and brought into the family. But Lindsay um, was is two years older than me, was two years older than me. So I was first in the family, but instantly I'm given this brand new older brother. And so that sets up a whole lot of... Um, drama around, well, who's first in the family? Is it the first in the family or is it the eldest in the family? And that led to a lot of, um, yeah, f- sibling rivalry, sibling, r- sibling rivalry that dominated my childhood with, with with, with, that brother, definitely, with Lindsay. So, yeah. yeah so, so and so there was a lot to explore. I wanted to, to focus on... I wanted to focus on those energies as well and just how myself as a subject, especially a white subject in this family, how I played that game um, of almost like chess. It was a, there was some real game of throwing moments basically in that whole, um, yeah, there was some, amongst the kids, there were game of throwing moments definitely. And you all had your kingdoms in the
0: backyard, which are actually um, trees in the backyard. So everyone had their own tree, which became their place of, uh, I suppose, of privacy if they chose, but also where they could invite other people up to join them in their trees and everything like that, which is quite a wonderful moment in the book. And I just thought around that just to give the, um, the viewers some idea of, um, you know, how, how wonderfully you paint this picture. If we could maybe just get you to read a little bit from it? Yeah, sure.
1: Um, I'll probably read uh, the backgrounding information that sort of sets up the, the story oh, um, without giving too much away. Um, uh, and it's called On My Eighth Birthday." Uh, there are four types of trips we take north across the Brisbane River. Pick up a baby for adoption, take delivery of a child for fostering, visit the Queensland Museum, go to the Brisbane Exhibition Grounds for the annual show called the Ecker. Otherwise, we stay south side. For Karen, Beth and me, the three adopted, there's no remembered before our north side pickups, No memories of mothers' smiling faces leaning down and tucking us in. It didn't happen. We draw blanks when we try to remember who our real parents are. We were newborns. The upshot of this is we can while away hours and hours imagining the true identities of our real mothers and fathers. But this has to be done in secret so our adopted mum and dad don't get upset and think we don't love them. The fostered, on the other hand, have real memories. Lindsay, if he can be bribed, tells a story of holding on to his mother's hand and being chased through the bush by something that catches them and pulls him from her, and he never sees his mother again. Until he saw the policeman, he says he thought the things chasing them were lions. On my eighth birthday, after the hippie parades and the traditional birthday story of how, as a newborn, I had care the colour of pumpkin, mum's hand stops mid-slice through my birthday cake. She says she has something important to tell me. About the woman who gave you that orange-coloured mop. Mum's eyes are filled with gifts. Your birth mother. My body turns to fizz. Molly, Dad warns, are you sure he's not too young? Mum regards Dad for two seconds and then he's dismissed. I know her real name and one other thing. My mind turns to fizz. Now, don't get too excited, Mum warns, sliding the first slice of cake in front of me, because I'll tell you all the details when you turn 18. When you're old enough, the fizz is gone. It takes all of my concentration to reach out and lever up a spoonful of cake. What if you forget? I ask pretending not to care. They won't forget, she replies. She plates cake slices for my spellbound brothers and sisters. I've written it all down. I can't maintain the act. She is telling me to wait 10 years. The cake in my mouth turns to grit. I once saw a movie about a beautiful evil queen who chokes to death on the sand that's filling up her dead husband's pyramid. So awful was her death that I went to the library and borrowed books on ancient Egypt to find out if the story was true. I still don't exactly know, but all of a sudden I can't breathe. That's not fair, I yell, shucking out of my chair. Molly, Dad, throws up his hands and leaves the table. Now see what you've done? And this is why I'm not going to tell you, David, Mum says, ignoring him. You're not old enough and you've become hysterical. But why did you say anything? I wish I hadn't, but this would have been your birth mother's job to cut your birthday cake. She must be feeling terrible right now. Please tell me a little bit more. Please, please. One thing, that's all. Just one thing and then you must not ask me until you're 18, okay? Okay. The nurses, when they handed you over, said that there was something interesting, something out of the ordinary about your birth. Without mum having to say another word, it's obvious. I'm the son of a movie star. (laughs) I can't wait 10 years. I need to know now. While mum does the dishes and dad relaxes on the couch, I stretch out my arms and fake a yawn. I am allowed at mum's field of vision and wander down the carpet runner. Lindsay is the only one who's watching. Two bedside cabinets stand like sentries on either side of, her, of the double bed. Mum's side is closest to the door. Like a trainer putting his arm into the mouth of a circus lion, I slip my forearm into the open bottom drawer and start to feel for paper objects, expecting at any moment for my hand to scrape against a rough tongue. What do you think you are doing? Mum's voice freezes the room. Looking for my birth mother? I'm your mother. The muscles in her face twitch. She gave you up. She grabs my arm and pulls me from the floor. Do you hear me? Whack. If I ever find you going through my things again, you'll get a thrashing you won't forget. Now get to your room. She pushes me out, slams the door and storms to the kitchen. Despite the humiliation of being smacked on my birthday, I can't stop thinking the information belongs to me. I will discover it another way, a secret way. If I'm the child of a movie star, a movie star had to come to Australia. I'll have to find someone to ask, an adult who won't get suspicious and alert, mum. <laughs> That's terrific. Thanks, David. And I mean, what's really curious about that sort of um,
0: extract that you've just read is, you know, it's such a, enorm- must have been such an enormous tease, you know, to sort of pose that possible solution and then withdraw it.
1: Yeah, definitely. But it was, um, I mean, it also gave me the framework to write State of Origin, however many years later as well, because it was, um, for me, the. I had a lot of anxieties ar- around writing about searching for um, my Indigenous foster brothers because I was terrified of encroaching on their stories, taking, taking their stories without any permission. Yeah. Um, so for me the uh, the way I tried to handle that was the primary focus is on how I'm implicated in the politics of that family dynamic um i'm 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 highlighting uh how whiteness um and how privilege which are kind of um, words that Uh, 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 those words are are, are said a lot Um, but for me they have and for everyone they have very real currency so I had a way to actually tell the story of my whiteness how I how I used that and how that was implicated and how that affected my Indigenous foster brothers how even though we were all brought up in this sort of crazy um violent certainly at times, but also loving also gave me um, beautiful moments um, that, you know, I'm, I'm dealing in now, I'm dealing with those now. Um, so, yeah, it just gave me a way to tell the story of whiteness um, and tell the story and, and show how privilege does operate, even on even when um, somebody's come from what others can consider nothing, privilege still works in in that type of environment. Um, Yeah.
0: And certainly I can imagine that way you as a young boy fantasise about who your parents might have been. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, sort of you finished that extract talking about how you might have, you know, you were definitely the child of a movie star Um, and that doesn't work out. Who do you think you are?
1: well then um it morphs into so because there was uh we each had our castles our, our individual trees in the backyard and they were sizable trees we had a big backyard so uh most of us had the ability to climb our trees um poor paula was given i uh, sorry poor um my my one of my sisters was given a uh Coffee bean trees, so you can't really climb a coffee bean tree. So she just had to make a nest under it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the rest of us, we could climb up into our into the branches of the trees. So, and kids' imaginations are such that it's so easy to turn um, a a climbable tree. Into a castle, into a ship, into a spacecraft. It's just so easy. So for me, um, I guess a lot of what informed my imagination was midday television. Um, so, and a lot of midday television movies were um, Robin Hood or. Um, The Romanovs was a movie that I saw and I think that that was or it was some show about the Romanovs and so I just sort of borrowed what I saw. So we were either, you know, typical cowboys and Indian stories or we were Robin Hood and Maid Marian or we were the Romanovs. And I I seized upon the Romanovs story because I could, it fed my imagination and we had Anastasia who was missing. Um, so for me, it was just an easy joining of the dots. Anastasia is my missing grandmother or my missing great grandmother. So I just had to then find a way to link her disappearance from the assassination of her family and lead that to, well, how would she have gotten to Australia? Well, she was chased by the the, the Russians, her Russian assassins. and. Um, she had to basically give up my my mother who then had to give me up because she had to stick with Anastasia. So it was very complicated and very convoluted. But, um, yeah, children's minds can do anything for the story, basically, and that's what I did.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, it comes across in your book um, that there's a real warmth in a lot of the the, the experiences that you had in your childhood. But not all of them, obviously, and um, one of the great sort of twi- switches in the book is the arrival of Ron, um, your eventual stepfather on the scene, and, you know, you, you, you talk about that and we've you've talked about the white privilege of it. Can you tell a little bit about how Ron changed the dynamics of your family?
1: Um, violently. Um Um, in all sorts of every conceivable violence, actually. Um, So, and it probably, I'm not sure what it did to my imagination. Um, I'm not sure if um, being a writer, I can actually link it back to that sort of, Violent severing from one home environment where we um, were—we left my father after he'd gone to work and um, then moved to the other side of the city. Um, And so, from that from that moment of severance from one family home to uh, a completely different house that wasn't a home, wasn't the home that I knew, and without my tree, where I. Built so many different lives. Um, it was. It, it didn't take very long at all for me to pedestalise that home in Ipswich, to to wrap it in cotton wool, all my memories of that time. To sort of basically pour pour tree sap over it and turn it into amber. Um, each time I'd polish it and look at it and think about it and and wish to be back there um i think that sort of so i guess what i'm trying to say is if that sort of stuff hadn't happened with my stepfather i wouldn't have turned i would have grown up um from a lot of that sort of stuff i wouldn't have i wouldn't have turned it into the treasures that i turned it into because after we left Ipswich, and my first father. I didn't have very many treasures. I didn't have very many treasures left, except for those early memories. So, um, you you play with what you've got, basically.
0: Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. But certainly for your foster brothers, the arrival was of, of Ron was a far more um, oh, physically brutal experience, and and obviously, you know, there was some sort of racial sort of, or racist um, attitude involved there?
1: I'm not sure about, um, yes, definitely language, Um, but it was more, I think, he saw, so in terms of uh, whiteness and privilege, for example, so I'd be punched, I'd be kicked, but they'd be attacked with planks of wood. So there's that unprivileged to just be kicked and punched, they because they're the older, um, probably smarter, more switched on to other things that were going on in the house. Maybe he just had to get rid of them. Um, and also they were those my foster brothers were getting bigger. So there's a potential for them to get to a point where they could physically have come for him. So he had yeah. to sort of Get rid of them. I don't know. I don't know what the rationale behind his violence to them. But um, it had the desire effect, and they ran away on the same. And the the boys, um, they're half brothers, true half brothers, um, but they'd never gotten on really either because um, Errol was much more personable. than than Lindsay in a way. Um, And so Errol had found a way to sort of sidestep the hierarchy and everyone loved Errol, Um, everyone loved Lindsay, but Lindsay just didn't have the same sort of uh, personality, I suppose. So um, Mm. they didn't particularly get on at all. Um, So even though they ran away on the same night, they didn't run away together. They ran up the same. They ran away up the same street in the middle of the night. I watched them from my bedroom window. That invited me. Errol had invited me to go with him, um, and that's one of my greatest regrets that I didn't go with him. Um, but I knew um, I'd be better off staying. Um, but they ran away up. Uh, on opposite sides of the streets, not talking, um, not but just on opposite sides of the streets running away. Um, so I guess um, as violent as, and awful as that was and they were thrust out into a world as young teenage boys and God only knows what that could have set them up for, um, mm. which I didn't know. Um, it got them out of that house. It got them away from this, you know, our, our stepfather. So I think.
0: And how long after that was it before you started looking for them?
1: Well, every t- so I fled Queensland as soon as I could, basically, um, because it was a Joe Ockie-Peterson time frame. So, um, and also uh, it was... Uh, HIV, AIDS was um, beginning and in Queensland there were um, draconian laws introduced that gay men couldn't congregate um, in pubs or they could face arrest, Um, there were police raids, there was, um, it was pretty well everywhere, that type of stuff, it was also in New South Wales but Being gay was legal in New South Wales. It was illegal in Queensland. So anyone who reached a certain age got the hell out of Queensland. So I got the hell out of Queensland. But every time I went back, um, I would look for my brothers, whether it was from just walking around the city or... Because in those days, no one—you didn't catch a plane to go back to Brisbane. It was the overnight bus from yeah, yeah. Um, from Central Train Station. So, um, you know, as soon as the train hit, the train hit the outskirts of Brisbane, or the bus hit the, or the Greyhound bus, or um, I think the cheapest bus line then was um, what was the cheapest bus line? Doesn't matter, McCafferty's, I think. Um, Olympic, Olympic was the cheapest. Um, so, the uh, yeah, I'd always keep an eye on the window f- to see if I could see either of them. Um, and also there was no internet, so finding anyone was impossible, um,
0: really. Um, Were there any clues in those intervening years about where they might be?
1: Um, I'm just trying to remember. I think my mother saw... Um, Errol at the Cleveland Strawberry Festival one year Mm -hmm. um, and they hugged. But so I knew he must have still been in Queensland, but I had no other detail because my mother would have been at the Cleveland Strawberry Festival with her um, second husband. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine Errol would have stuck around too long to... Tell yeah, her okay. what was going on in his life, but um, I knew he was alive, um, or I thought he would be alive. So, um, yeah, but you couldn't you couldn't approach any sort of government organisation and, and get detail about somebody.
0: Yeah, and as a as a as a like I suppose a um, a foster brother effectively you are um, when you begin to look for him in 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 a serious way, like the book begins with you ringing the Mergon police station um and there's a problem there of how you know how can you justify making that call you know what what is your and this becomes one of the central questions of the book what is your what is your right to seek this person and who do you have the right for other people to give you information about him
1: yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and how much how much water can go under the bridge before what you consider relationship to be to actually not be that relationship at all, and actually not even a relationship? Um, so, with so my heart was always telling me, yes, he's your foster brother, and. A lot of the time, I would just conveniently and leave off the word foster. In my heart, it would be, yes, he's your brother, he's your brother. But he's stolen generation. He's not my brother. He's, um, he was a, 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 a baby stolen from his mother's bosom and put into um, foster care. And, and somebody then came along after a number of years and fostered him. Um, same with same with Lindsay. So he was stolen goods. Um, and it's that sort of interesting thing around stolen goods. If you buy stolen goods, even if you're not even particularly aware of who they're stolen from, but you don't even have to have an idea whether it's a stolen goods. And we are talking about human beings here as chattel. Um, uh, you're still guilty of something. So... Even so, the, the fact just swallowing that the government line, the hook line, a hook line and sinker that we're going to give these people a new, better opportunities, but beneath all of that, and my mother knew it because we would we talked over the years around it that these were children taken from your mothers' families. Yeah. Yeah, taken from communities. Mm. Um, my mother knew that, um, and and ironically, my mother knew that, and all she ever wanted in life was to give birth to her own children. So you had, on the one hand, my mother who'd married my father without knowing the detail of the fact he couldn't give birth yeah. proper game, um, if that's the word. Um, but on the other hand accepting taking these stolen kids and putting them in our family there's a you know that sort of stuff it pays to it pays to investigate that type of stuff because it's a, um, it's a minutia of the of those types of relationship which I think really highlight the the issues at the heart of all of this sort of stuff? Like what was really going on? Um, because yeah. n- neither, neither of my foster brothers recovered. Neither of them did. Um, and you could say the same for, you know, the, myself, my other sisters, two sisters who were adopted. I'm sure there's, there's issues there too, um, with from having been adopted, given up, or whatever those stories are, I haven't ever investigated my own story like that. But on the scale of things, those stolen generation kids that story is so much worse, so much worse because Lindsay did have that story, he was chased down, he was chased down and, and ripped oh, from his, yeah. his arm. So, um,
0: and yeah. That's I mean at the end of the um, towards the end of the book there's a um, reunion with Errol how, how How do you think both you and he felt around that and also your sister who was there as well
1: um, um, uh, I think it was well it was profoundly moving um it was profoundly moving, um, and it, uh, the politics aside around who is who in any of these relationships um, was put on a back burner because it was an emotional time. So the emotional, um, the emotional implications of having these people brought back together into the same um, backyard for a barbecue where. Um, the entire family uh, were together to 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 reconnect with yeah. Um The politics of that was aside was put aside for a while, and it was just emotional. So, and it was funny, and it was um, heart rendering or yeah, it was heart. It was it was it was uh, an incredible moment, um, but it also sort of marked there's something of an end for me around, okay, what happened in my family? What happened to this person? We found out what happened to that person. So um, I just, I'm just i just pleased that, you know, Errol's still around and still alive and he's healthy and he's gone on and he's had um, a family of his own. Um, he's... Yeah, uh, th- yeah, I, I love that he he survived. Um, he's got children. He managed to survive. He's alive now. He had children, so he he's a victor.
0: Yeah, and uh, and sadly, I mean, it's not really within the scope of this particular book. But you have told me afterwards that um, the same thing can't be said for Lindsay.
1: Yeah, Lindsay, um, and that's another um, aspect to that whole goal and generation story, which um, people, well, people don't realise how the tentacles of those actions, how far they stretch. Um, So I, I... Delayed, no, I stopped my looking for Lindsay because in, ter, in terms of state of origin because um, I wasn't sure, I wasn't 100%, but I would had been given some information that there was some uh, mental health issues um, going on. So I did thought, okay, no, I've got no, certainly have no right to go investigating and documenting, finding somebody who... Um, May not want to be found. Yeah, because he changed his name in very interesting uh, ways. So it sort of indicated that perhaps he didn't want to be found. So I set that aside thinking, I'll come back to that later. I'll come back to that later. I'll find Lindsay later. Um, And so when I found Errol, Errol... Was of the opinion that um, he sort of knew where Lindsay sort of was in the world. He was in a, he was in Queensland still, but he had not personally seen him for a, for a very long time. Um, and then when State of Origin came out last year um, in August, so I had the book launch. Um, we had the book launch, and you launched it. Um, Uh, I'd sent a copy of State of Origin to Errol and said, yay, the book's out, and had he heard anything from Lindsay? And he said, he told me that he'd only recently found out himself that Lindsay had passed away in 2014. So the book was released in 2019 and one of my well, my foster brother, one of my foster brothers, had died five years previously and none of us had known. None of us had known. What other family does that take place in? And I mean, um,
0: it's a real tragedy. And, yeah, to not know what happens, to lose your siblings in that way.
1: Yeah, Anonymous yeah.
0: Is, real, is a real tragedy. Um, I think we're going to have to wrap it up there, David. but. Yeah. Thank you for chatting today. That's been that's just it's a wonderful book. It's warm, it's wise, um, but it's also cognizant of the tragedies and the injustices that have been perpetuated structurally in Australian society for some time. And um, it's a really great read, everyone. It's available at all good bookshops or through Punch from Watman online, and I can heartily recommend it. Thanks very much
1: for coming on today, David. Thanks, Ed. Thanks everyone for watching. Take care. Okay.